0: But we're here for a real education. Dee, 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 dee. Welcome to A Real Education. I'm your host, Tim Wick. I am joined, as always, by my co-host, movie gangster, Melissa Kershaw. Hello! And we are joined today by our movie, uh, what am I going to call him, uh, Patsy. Henchman?
1: <laughs> um, Henchman?
0: Well, really? no, I like Patsy. Patsy I think it, is it? it works better. What does Patsy uh, mean? It, it. You'll find <laughs> out. Anyway... <laughs> Our movie patsy today is Alex Wick, my son Alex Wick. So, hi Alex, welcome to our podcast. Hello, nice to be here. Good. Now, uh, the movie we're going to watch today is called The Untouchables, and Alex, as our patsy, what you need to do right now is tell us what you know about the Untouchables.
2: Well, uh, when it was originally explained, I thought it was uh, Unbreakable, the Shyamalan movie, so oh. practically
0: nothing. Oh, you ah. think, you thought it was an, a Shyamalan movie called Unbreakable, which it is not. So yeah. what what do you think you might know about The Untouchables?
2: Um, sounds like a superhero movie.
0: Okay, mm. sounds like a superhero movie. All right. Like Unbreakable. Like un- yeah, Unbreakable. Pretty, well, that's, yeah, pretty know, much, that's pretty <laughs> much why I, I said that. Just,
2: yeah. Well.
1: And okay. I guess in kind of a way. I mean I mean sort of. Sort of.
2: So Then again you said pansy and like you said in P- my kind of patsy. 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 So maybe patsy. like a wet- western or something? Mm. No mm. further away. Yeah. No. I mean
0: a period piece I think is acceptable. It is, it is a period piece. Uh, yeah, I mean we are gonna do a lot of uh, of spoiling at the moment. Mm -hmm. uh, For the listeners who are following us, this is uh, part of our James Bond series in Mm -hmm. that uh, we just watched a film featuring Sean Connery as James Bond, Goldfinger. Mm -hmm. We are now watching another film featuring Sean Connery. But not Bond. But not as James Bond. Mm -hmm. So this is The Untouchables. It is a film from uh, the late 80s.
1: 1987.
0: Yes. The Mm -hmm. late 80s. And it is uh, an adaptation of a television show.
1: Well, it's the adaptation of a television show which was the adaptation of a memoir. So, yeah. it's, yeah. it's
2: adaptation
1: Yeah, kind of. It, it, so, it, it's it's a movie that features a gentleman the, the, the character name and the real person's name is Elliot Ness. And Elliot Ness was a U.S. treasury agent who worked in Chicago during Prohibition. And uh, he was partially responsible for bringing down a certain gangster.
0: Who
1: advocate. shall remain nameless,
0: even and though evil. we're going to find him out in the first moments yeah.
2: of yeah. the
0: film okay um cool. this movie is notable for a few things one it kind of established or it, this plus a plus another uh, movie called no way out established kevin costner is yes. kind of a a big star of the late 80s early 90s mm-hmm. um it is a movie that earned uh sean connery his only oscar to date yep oh. um and also, there were some other Oscar nominations involved as well, and there are also a lot of other movie connections to classic films that, that we'll get into a little bit later, I yeah. think, after we watch the movie. Yeah,
1: the the important thing here is the um, the director is a man named Brian De Palma, who is an always fascinating director to watch, uh, because he's very, very stylish, um, he has a... Uh, All of his films are just very, very pretty and very well designed. So Mm -hmm. a lot of the other Oscars were like art direction and costume design,
2: and so a lot uh, of Jamie said the movie is going to go right over my head.
1: Well, maybe a little bit, but it—you'll probably go, "Oh, that's pretty."
2: Yeah, really. You know, just look for really good. He
0: he does excellent shot composition. Okay. Um, There's also, uh, you know, just kind of warning for the listeners uh, as well as Alex, who knows nothing about this movie. Uh, (laughs) It's pretty bloody. Yeah. It's pretty bloody. Uh, there's,
1: th- Brian, Brian De Palma had a nickname Brian DePlasma because a lot <laughs> of his uh, <laughs> movies do feature some interesting violence. You know? Yes, there, there's
0: <laughs> there's definitely some interesting violence that goes on yes. in this film. Uh, one of the things that I do want to say before we start, again, we're trying to, to avoid most of the spoilers, I think I like the opening credit sequence... And uh, and music of this film more than many others. I just, oh god, yeah. I love the style of the opening of this movie, and I think that uh, if, if if for no other reason than just watching the first minute or so oh, god, of how yeah. this film is, or maybe five minutes of how this film is put together, it's worthwhile.
1: The, the, one of the other <clears throat> Oscar nominations was for the score, which was by Ennio Morricone. Who, who we've heard of? Who we we've even discussed? I, I, believe we, I believe we talked about him during our uh, hateful eight episode. We did, but I, uh, didn't
0: we? We've already done a we've done a uh, Sergio Leone film as well. Yeah, I, I know so, we have,
1: uh, and I I
0: think it's uh, Fistful of Dollars.
1: Yeah, we did do so, Fistful of Dollars because we did Fistful
0: of Dollars in Yo, as a back to back. So yes, we, uh, we have we have heard his scores before, mm-hmm. and uh, he does really. Interesting, iconic music yeah. that that just gets stuck in your head. I mean, I can hum hum the the theme to the Untouchables now, even though I probably haven't watched this movie in about ten years. But
1: oh yeah, it has been like twenty
2: for yeah, me. Yeah,
0: I have watched it many times. I mean, I this is one of those movies that when we first started acquiring movies on vhs this was one of those films that i don't know why because yeah. when you want if you when you watch it you're kind of like i don't know how this would be one of those films but this was one of those movies that pat and i would stick into the vcr when we're like i just feel like sticking a movie uh and uh, have a movie playing while we do whatever else well, we're
1: doing one of the other things is um i i know we keep going into this but we should just watch it but i mean i bet i haven't seen this movie in 20 years i can still quote parts of it oh sure and part of that's because uh, the screenplay was written by David Mamet.
0: And he's, uh, he's got some skills.
1: Oh, oh, yes.
0: He has some skills. So we'll talk about David Mamet as well. Uh, but we should probably shut up so Alex yeah. can watch the movie. Uh, so we're going to go off. We're going to watch The Untouchables. You, as listeners, should know that it is now your job to do the same thing. And uh, we'll be back after this brief respite with some fantastic music oh, from yes. the opening credits <laughs> of the film.
2: So wait, are we going to just watch the opening credits, then come back, then do like an interlude just after the opening credits? No. No. Oh.
0: back. Much blood has been spilled. Many baseball analogies have been irreparably ruined. Mm -hmm. And uh, Al Capone has met his, not his maker, has has, uh, met the tax
1: man,
0: met the tax man. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, uh, of course, Alex, this was your first time watching The Untouchables. So the first thing we have to do is say, hey, Alex, how did you like The Untouchables?
2: I really liked it. I mean, I think that the a lot of blood was a bit relative. I've seen a lot of movies and it wasn't that bad on that front.
1: Hmm. <laughs> in,
2: in my opinion, maybe it's because it was eighties blood, therefore not very. <laughs> it's, it's, true. <laughs> it's true. It wasn't like nowadays blood where it's like super realistic and it makes you go oh, queasy. Now nah, that was fine, <laughs> but I really did enjoy the movie. It was uh, I. It was really satisfying when the villain was finally brought down after all of the tricks he tried to pull and all the people he killed, indirectly, but still killed.
1: Yeah, you know, oh, he doesn't,
2: yeah. Al Capone never got his hands dirty.
1: Yeah, yeah of course not. Yeah.
2: Yeah, um, yeah he, except, was,
1: he was a tricky one to bring down, hence the tax yeah. evasion thing. Yeah. yeah.
0: Which is true. I mean, Al Capone, absolutely true. Al Capone was put in prison for tax evasion, not yep. for racketeering or for anything else it Yeah, they was they, it was, they,
1: they, they That's couldn't all they that could catch him on, I know mm-hmm. I know that
2: historically like yeah
0: mm-hmm. was... mm-hmm. and a lot of this isn't historical, but oh, still yeah. you know I always think from the re- revenge aspect, honestly, Capone going into jail isn't nearly as satisfying as Nitty ending up in the car yeah for me that that just because you know he's the one that killed. Sean Connery. Sean Connery. <laughs> yeah. And, and you totally. don't get away
1: with killing that Sean Connery. That is
0: unforgivable. <laughs> it's an unforgivable movie crime, killing Sean Connery. And the only reasonable result has to be falling to your death.
1: Yeah. From, from a great height. From a yeah, a I mean, yeah. Getting chucked off a building by Kevin Costner. Yeah. yeah. Such a nice guy. <laughs>
2: He, he could have he shot him he
0: could have shot him in yeah. the face and he
2: didn't yeah. and then he, uh, but then <laughs> you know, if you are a gangster villain, never, never go too far. Like, yeah.
0: well yeah, certainly in this movie
2: going too yeah, far yeah. was a bad call. Yeah like, um, It was gonna save your life, but you had to go that extra step in being a douche. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. There's something about this movie that is that is super slick. Oh yeah, you know it's not as it's not as gritty as a lot of gangster movies might be. Yeah, it has it. It certainly has its roots in film noir, but it is a, it is a little bit it is a
1: little bit slicker, which I think is the Brian De Palma look. Well, um, yeah, it, his his move is always super super glossy and very like designed. Like mm-hmm. you see shots like that opening shot where it it's yeah. the overhead of so De Niro in the. In the barber's yeah. chair, it's weird, but with it's, it's amazing, and it's amazing. It's because there's beautiful. that. I mean, you know
0: what I talked about with the credits. I just love the fact that it, it's really just the title, yeah, that's yeah. backing away from you to this amazing music, yeah,
1: yeah. and it
0: just really yeah. kind of sets this tone. And then you go to this dude in a barber's chair, yeah, with yeah. people standing around him, and it, and it it just it sets this tone that's like this is going to be gritty and it's going to be a crime drama it's going to be nasty and, and then there's and people are going to die chair. and then there's a dude in a barber's chair well, yeah,
1: yeah. It, it, well i mean it, de palma's big influences are film noir and the italian giallo uh directors yeah. and and all that stuff is very kind of arch
0: mm-hmm. in its
1: own way it's it's kind of this weird heightened reality where there's an art to it and it's not necessarily naturalistic and that's certainly what this movie is and above that this is this is myth making whereas it's not a this is the real life story of elliot ness and his men definitely it, it, it doesn't is, even
2: pretend to be doing that. yeah
1: it's not even it, it it is like a couple steps away not even like just your regular movie myth making. It is like no. two steps yeah. away
2: from that because it's, it's kind telling a story an... around a fictional event, like yeah. Historical
1: well, fiction. around a,
2: yeah. around an
0: actual historical yeah. event. So Elliot yeah. Ness was yeah. a actual yeah. actual Treasury agent who assisted in bringing down Al Capone.
1: Yeah, um, and and he did have a team of guys, and they got nicknamed the Untouchables, and they were very carefully vetted to help him out on the case and. It was like originally a team of fifty men, and it got whittled down to fifteen, and then like to eleven. But uh, it's it.
2: It It wasn't four.
1: Yeah, and the I mean, ultimately, it was it was the FBI working with the Treasury that you know brought down Capone. It was a whole yeah. It wasn't. It wasn't
0: just these four guys. It wasn't
1: just Ness. But but what had happened was. uh, Ness eventually wrote his memoirs in the 50s with the help of, a, of an author. And the memoirs came out. They were a huge hit. And then the TV show uh, starring Robert Stack as Elliot Ness yep. uh, came out. And that was, uh, I want to say, 1959. Yeah, 1959. And it ran mm-hmm. for several years. And uh, it was very influential in that it kind of changed the tone of crime dramas from then on. So that ki- came, kind of came at the end of the noir era and kind of launched into the crime dramas of the, of the 60s. So you kind of came out of the, the Buddy Cops thing that was popular on radio and on TV at the time. Okay. And moved into, like, this is a team of people w- working together. And that's how ah. you got, like, Hawaii Five-0 and... Uh, now, now I'm going to go completely blank on some <laughs> of the other TV shows. Other TV right now, but, yeah. shows but, yeah.
0: involving police
1: officers. Yeah, yeah. police procedural um, TV police shows. Police
0: procedurals, which obviously have changed much up to now, but... Yeah, yeah. but and they uh, will
2: continue to change.
0: Yeah, but uh, the... The thing that that always interests me about that opening shot and talking about that heightened sense of reality is you've got this shot and mm-hmm. it's and it's from above. The camera's closing in on the shot. There's only one person in the shot that's moving, and it's the the manicurist who's, yeah. who's working his nails. And then there's that moment where the action starts. And I mean you can see all these characters that have basically been static. They're not they're not in a Freeze. None of yeah. the characters yeah. are behaving like they're frozen. But there is a moment where you can tell. They're told, all right, this is when the action actually starts. Yeah. And there's a lot of touches like that where the scene is real but not. There's so many so many of the point-of-view shots that the camera does where yeah. you see a char- pretty much always ne- Elliot Ness's point-of-view. But still, mm-hmm. where the camera start, takes his point-of-view for a moment and then switches. Mm-hmm. To 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 a different point of view, and that the weird way that 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 the film does that of of giving you this is like an Elliot Ness's voice moment, but then I'm going to switch back to the third person. Yeah, in in film, definitely very stylistic.
1: Yeah, yeah, and there are so many of those punch points of the film though where it it takes that hey everybody freeze sort of thing where and it's just the camera taking in the scene as carefully yeah. and as quietly as it can. Like uh, when Capone beats the guy to death with a baseball bat, yeah. that overhead shot pulling away. Yeah.
0: Which mirrors the shot that we have of Capone at the beginning. Exactly. Where very
2: much like peaceful and saying like, oh, I don't, I don't kill people, blah, 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 Yeah, blah.
0: exactly. It, it, it gives you that, that, that first, first scene with Capone. He seems almost benevolent. Yeah. And even when we see the next, you know, the next, sequence, which is meant to remind us that Capone is brutal. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when we see a little girl get blown up.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, well, unfortunately, we don't see it, but
2: we yeah, know but what you happens. You see it, you <laughs> yeah. see yeah. it.
0: Yeah, um, so we see that, and we see, we know that Capone's responsible for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when you see
2: him again, he seems like actually a pretty chill dude again. You like see, he yeah. it, but
0: then you get that shot that that's the reflection of that opening shot, which is really there to remind yeah. us mm-hmm. that capone is is brutal and capable of really awful acts of violence and, and he is capable of doing them himself that.
1: yeah and yeah. and and i mean the real guy it it kind of the movie does kind of in its own way show kind of that duality of how people saw el capone because when he was in power He routed a lot of money, kind of, he almost modeled himself as kind of a philanthropist. Like, he, 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 not only was he paying off people, but he was, you know, routing, you know, tons of money back into the community in his own way. So it was hard for people to go up and finger him as being a crime boss. I mean, that was part of the wall he set up between himself and and the law. But also, that, that whole thing about him clubbing somebody to death with a baseball bat, that's Pretty much true. Yep. At a, at a dinner party, invited a bunch of people, and uh, I think it was two people he clubbed to death at the dinner table. Wow. Was, yeah, two people ran afoul of him, and uh, there they went. Yeah. Wow. And now,
0: I, I, the, the interesting thing about that, the, the, especially the gangster violence like in Chicago in that era, is a lot of people weren't so concerned about it because the majority of that, that violence was gangsters killing each other. Yeah. So if you weren't involved in the gang, you didn't really care. Yeah. Until something like that bombing at the beginning of the movie happens, which did because they were trying to get people to sell their product. Because that's how they were making money, by selling illegal liquor. And if you weren't willing to sell illegal liquor, well, then you're a liability. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, in order to convince you to sell illegal liquor, maybe I'm going to bomb somebody down the street who refused to sell illegal liquor and that's going to convince you that rather than having your establishment bombed perhaps selling illegal liquor isn't so
1: bad yeah Um, Yeah. and the it's it's interesting how I mean like most of the violence was you know just within the underworld but I mean to the point where Capone actually had a non-violence command against Ness and his men because he knew that any, if any of them died in the line of fire, he'd be interest. He'd be instantly liable. That would be something they could that would, trace uh, He, back would, to he him.
0: would draw the ire of the federal government in yeah. a totally new way. He
1: sure tried yeah. bribery, though.
2: <laughs> it failed miserably. It but failed It failed
1: miserably. It. Yeah, the 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 thing about the envelope is true. I mean, he 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 filtered down a. a, a God, what was it? He said, he he told Ness through whatever (coughs) chain of events, he told Ness that there would be $2,000 bills left on his desk every Monday morning if they turned a blind eye. And Ness actually turned it into a point where he uh, just revealed revealed it instantly to the press, and that's how they kind of got the nickname the Untouchables, is because it's like, you try to bribe me well, this is $8,000
0: a month in that
1: time is gigantic generated. yeah two thousand dollars is the equivalent of like thirty thousand dollars today yeah so, every yeah. week I'm, it was yeah. insane um I, I was actually talking today to my dad because it's easter we're recording on easter and he was talking about uh, happy easter per- everybody yeah yeah i want a sugar high. <laughs> uh, there. He actually handed me some some books on prohibition that he had laying around, just completely unrelated to what we're watching tonight. But um, um, but about prohibition in Minnesota and like Stearns County, which is where Saint Cloud, Minnesota, is. Um, apparently, the the cash economy in Stearns County during prohibition um, was eighty percent moonshine. Just the amount of money that was being made in making and routing alcohol around the country during Prohibition was extraordinary. It was yeah. just an enormous
0: thing. Well, I mean, whether Al, Al Capone personally had over one million dollars dispersed over a three-year period, yeah, uh, in, in, in the movie, in the and movie I don't money. know that that's so far off. Yeah, of what Capone was making, it's probably it yeah, that, that's
1: like. Uh, 20, 20 some odd million dollars in that over a three year period.
0: Yeah. yeah. And that's money that he made himself, not money that he was paying yeah. to his subordinates to to keep the entire machine working. That's what Capone ended up making at the end of the day. Yeah, mm-hmm. Pretty impressive. Yeah.
2: An <laughs> and, <then laughs> and he so still has enough to like bribe all these people yeah. to make oh. sure it stays under the rug. Yeah.
0: Because yeah. none of that came from him.
2: Mhm. it all it all got it routed
0: no. it all got routed in, in different ways and the only the, the 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 thing is how they couldn't prove a they they knew most of that what they and they couldn't necessarily prove any of it in a way that they could convict him. All they could do was prove he had been paid money and he had not paid income tax. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And because he was claiming that he had made no money on it on his income tax, they could nail him for that. He was a slippery dude. Mhm. Um you know what what Also interested me about this movie, just watching it, and I've watched it several times, and, you know, Alex, the first time watching it, I don't know if you notice it as much as I do, that, you know, there's always time dilation in film, Mm -hmm. you know, so realistically, the amount of time it takes for all of this, this to happen... Appears to be a couple of days,
1: <laughs> and, it's, it's, and yet there's a baby that shows up in the middle. Uh, yeah,
0: it, it's it's like because it, in reality it was like three years. It had to be. Yeah, yeah it was about
2: three years. It, well, it starts. I, I, th- I was thinking closer to like uh, uh, a few weeks to a few months, but yeah, no, a few it, years. it was
1: about three years because uh, Ness started working for the Treasury in I want to say 1929, 28, yeah, 28, 29, and then uh, they brought Capone down by. I think it was thirty-one. Mm-hmm. Because I mean, you
0: watch the movie, and basically, what happens? There's the liquor raid at the post office. Uh-huh. Yeah. uh Yeah. Then there's the on the bridge. The, the liquor raid at the Canadian border. Mm-hmm. And then there's the shootout in the in the train station. Yep. Yeah. And that's it. And they're done, and, <laughs> and then it's the trial. And obviously, there had to be a lot more to it than that. I mean, by all oh by goodness, all appearances, yeah. Oscar and um, and Jimmy are killed in the same day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, it, 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 there's no reason the the timeline would tell you yeah. that's what happened, um, and that's you know that's filmmaking. It's easier to tell a story if you compact the time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, instead of going four months later, three months later... you. The, want Then it
2: would just be a bunch of, like... Then it would just be disjointed with a bunch of, like, text boxes appearing, and it, it would easily be a worse movie if that it.
0: Well, and more than that, there's a sense of urgency when you dilate the time. If, yeah, if, right. If two members of the Untouchables die in a day, and yeah. they're going to drop the case...
2: Mm-hmm. All at the same time.
0: It's like, we have a sense of urgency stuff's gotta happen now speaking of a sense of urgency and stuff's gotta happen we gotta talk about that scene in the train station
2: oh god yes <laughs> maybe it's just me being the um maybe it's just me being the uh, non-movie buff that I am I did think that the lead up to the scene was a bit long with just like cutting back to the stroller and cutting back mm-hmm. to the looking around cutting back. I thought that was a bit drawn out just as an average moviegoer And, and I think, I mean, uh, pacing of films has changed since 1987,
1: but, and so that's part of it. And it's also, I mean, this was something that the the home video market was only, what, seven years old, six years old by this point. So, um, you know, primarily you watched movies in a theater and then, you know, maybe on HBO at home after, after that, but, but. Um, a scene like that plays out differently when you're kind of trapped with it in a theater and that yeah. and so just the pacing of movies back then was different well, I get that, I... that. And, and so there's but also the big thing about that scene is this it's this big reference to Eisenstein's Battleship Potemkin which is a silent film it's a Russian film from 1925 um Soviet made and uh it's this kind of amazing um Work for its time in that the visual storytelling is really remarkable but that whole scene including the the baby stroller taking a header down the stairs is all a reference to the massacre in the opening of of that film yeah it's it's all battleship potemkin
0: there's this huge nearly shot for shot yeah there's this huge battle on the steps the army is ordered to open fire on Mm -hmm. civilians and uh, you know because the, cause the bat, battleship potemkin potemkin is about the red revolution the, yeah. the, the the communist revolution in russia
1: october revolution the october yeah yeah
0: yeah, yeah. yeah it was the october revolution that's okay. why red october yeah. um anyway so the 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 thing about that scene and i mean i watching it today it was just the way they they draw out the suspense and it's playing mm-hmm. yeah. it's playing off a Hitchcockian theme, the idea that suspense is a bomb under the table that doesn't go off. Yeah. So.
2: With like the, all the minor chords that it kept playing, like you think something's gonna happen, then it doesn't. There's the yeah. baby carriage going. Yeah, it's, going a, it's
1: up. an eternal.
2: Tease. There's there's
0: yeah. the there's the way the sound is heightened every time the door opens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. You know, they take out almost every other sound effect. I mean, it's a train station. You wanna be hearing trains arriving and oh, stuff. Yeah. There's none of that sound. All there is is the sound of the door opening and closing and the feet on the stairs. Yeah. You know, which once again is almost like it's it's like going into Ness's head and all he's listening yeah. to. You know, the and, and
1: the sound of the oh God, you just focus in on the on the stroller wheels and, yeah. and that that really awkward yeah, you know, pulling it up step by step, and, then... and and the
0: knowledge that there's this this film has set up the inevitability of a shootout. Yeah, yeah. Placed this baby in the middle of that yeah. that situation, and then waits to give you the shootout. You know the yeah. shootout's coming, but what you're, th- you're what you're hoping is that that carriage somehow
2: gets out of there before gets out it of
0: there before it happens. Mm-hmm. So it it, it takes you to that moment where you're like, oh, the kid's going to get out of here before the shooting starts. And then it puts the kid back in peril again. Yeah. And the other thing it does that I think is really, really clever is the scene leading up to the moment that Ness sees the dude that he punched in the face yeah yeah is all playing real time
2: mm-hmm. at
0: regular speed yeah. yeah and the moment that it goes to shootout it goes to slow motion yeah yeah so there's this bit this really slow tense scene and the moment that everything speeds up and the action speeds up the film slows down so it's practically running at the, at same, the same pace, pace as it had been when you were going up the stairs mm-hmm. but now you're going down the stairs and the pace has accelerated with the
2: movie slowed down and it's
0: yeah it's it, it, it's just i i don't know it's one of those scenes that you watch and you're just like this is a masterful piece of work yeah, yeah. This, it's like
1: it's diplomat as finest. it's like yeah. this is what i do boom yeah.
0: and there there are there are several moments in the film that you just watch and you're like the way they make this scene work is what makes movies awesome. Yeah. Um,
1: or there, there's a scene where, um, as, as you're following uh, Capone's men through the hotel, oh, yeah. there's more and more and more red. And then when you finally get to Capone, he's in white. And there's. And it's it,
0: a, it, it's yeah. almost an unbroken shot.
1: Yeah, there are a lot of unbroken shots. Like yeah, the one I where, that. where the hit goes out on um, Agent Wallace in the elevator that's that that camera follows everybody yeah, that is, for minutes uh, I, that's minute.
2: the i think that was the scene when i noticed it it was just yeah. like f- it, the camera was like and it was in real time so unlike like when if there's was a bunch of cuts back and forth you might be like so how long was this like yeah. it was so clear exactly how long all this was taking away and it also set up the fact that like when the camera did cut away it felt like it was still going at the same pace yes not and and it didn't really even break up the mood because it had been going for so long, it still felt like it was part of the same thing.
0: Mm-hmm. There's yeah. also some remarkable crowd choreography. I, yeah. I think like that yeah. courtroom scene at the end, mm-hmm. when you know Capone is freaking out. They've they've they've, they've 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 he's got the camera and the people all set up so that Capone still remains at the center of attention in spite of the fact he's surrounded yeah. by all these people. But but where we've seen Capone surrounded by people before and seen him in power here. We see him surrounded by people and he looks small and he looks powerless. Mm -hmm. And it's a really nicely done, um, way to visually show what has happened to Capone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, where in the film earlier in the film, that first shot again. And I always go back to that first shot because I think that first shot's extraordinary. Yeah. Um, Capone is surrounded by people, yet he is in a barber's chair completely, uh, uh, um, almost you could say at their mercy, he is yeah. relaxed,
1: yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: and yet he commands the room, and then at the end, we see him not at all relaxed, he's violent, he's straining against these people, and yet he is still... Powerless. Powerless. Mm-hmm. You know, And so that change from being the man completely at ease, and yet completely in control to that man being out of out of control and out of control
2: yeah
0: um is is nicely reflected from the beginning of the film to the end of the film
2: yeah
0: uh and uh, i think that uh there's there you know there there are there are little things here and there that i think don't work about the movie i think one of the things that i find just just Jarring about the film, even though I think the majority of the sound work is great. Yeah. The tire screeching oh, God, that happens that every time movie. a car breaks in that movie—it's like that, that was like the
1: stock <laughs> breaking sound <laughs> that <laughs> is really used in that. all the cheapest movies. Yeah. I don't know what that was about. It's like, oh, guys, guys, you know better. I'd hope.
0: <laughs> um. Okay, s- so I also have to mention, uh, as I noticed in the title, the Giorgio Armani did was the suits the, the designer you know what
1: phone. Armani yeah Armani was working on the suits and he was actually trying to influence diploma to uh, hire Don Johnson for the lead role because Don Johnson's star was rising with Miami Vice and Armani mm-hmm. was working on Miami Vice with Don Johnson and Armani just likes working with Don Johnson because uh, he was his male muse <laughs> <laughs> but that didn't quite work out like um, obviously he, uh, Johnson actually was approached for the role and turned it down, and I think he suggested Costner, and De Palma was like, eh, "I don't know because nobody really knew Costner yeah. at this point in time." But uh, was but this he, like they, the movie that made him kind of? This is yes, kind of really when yeah.
0: you I remember reading reviews at the time, and and most of the reviews were like, "This Costner guy." Yeah. And the reviews would start by saying, oh, by the way, Robert De Niro as Al Capone is amazing. And Robert De Niro is just stunning in this film as Capone. Yeah, he's
1: fantastic.
0: Uh, They they mentioned Connery, and he's fantastic. He won an Oscar for this role. And then they would say, oh, and then there's this guy you haven't heard of. Yeah. Uh, Kevin Costner, Costner, who plays Elliot nets and he's fantastic. And just so this is '87, mm-hmm. and wasn't it '92? His Dances with Wolves.
2: Yep. So, so it's like five, saying, like think, these two amazing people, along with this third guy you've never heard of, kind of like. But
0: you might want yeah. to keep your eye yeah. on him. And yeah. three, if five years later he makes a movie called Dances with Wolves, which. uh
1: But it, but I think Field of Dreams predated that. Field like, of in Dreams and Bull, Field, yeah, and Bull Durham and Bull Durham and like Durham. all those movies kind of came in this.
0: So group. he makes he makes this series of films. That, that culminates in, in, uh, in Dances with Wolves, which is a film that won Best Picture. He directed it. He got the Oscar for Best Director. Yeah. I yeah. think he was nominated for Best Actor. Um, mm-hmm. And with, it's a different conversation how good or bad Dances with Wolves is. Um, but uh,
1: <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> but uh, it, it really, this movie is what starts that star rising to the point that he can make
1: yeah, yeah. dances
0: with wolves. You know, essentially make yeah. start making it four by the mid nineties,
1: he was one of the biggest stars in Hollywood. And then he made Waterworld, and anyway, I mean, and yeah. which I just recently watched for the first time, and oh god, I kind of like it for <laughs> you know, expecting how bad it was. It's like you know what, there's a lot of creativity into this Water and then World and then costner's performance though oh my god Waterworld is
0: not bad enough to be a good bad movie and I not do. good enough to have cost as much as it did yeah um and that but anyway that's a different yeah
1: movie. that's all we should uh, do
2: Waterworld. <laughs> <yeah.
1: laughs> <laughs> oh that'd be fun so couldn't fun. bring me on
2: for that i've <laughs> I know more about it than I should. No, it doesn't no. matter. It, no, matters it doesn't whether matter or you've you seen, seen it. it
0: because what yeah. you know may or may not be true. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. that's interest. That's that's the that's the way this podcast works. So, <laughs>
2: um,
0: I think. Uh, what else do we want to talk about? We talked a little bit about the um, score before we started. Yeah. I mean, yeah.
2: this is just a short little thing. I yeah. did like how like there were like little moments of comedy, like oh yeah, oh yeah, uh, yeah, uh, uh, intentional or in one case not like. Unfortunately, there was the blue screen falling to your death, oh, which yes. <laughs> I I couldn't help but laugh at because it just looks. It really nowadays does. it looks so fake. I, I couldn't. Yeah, help and
0: it, you look at it now and it didn't look. I, I remember looking at it back when the film came out and I didn't find it as jarringly yeah. fake.
2: Yeah. Uh But, but I mean, it mean, that's really
0: that's laugh. the difference in in special effects and yeah,
2: yeah, and uh, what have you. I'm sure that like you, people look at back at today's effects and be like, like 20 years from now, and be oh. like, oh, that looks so fake.
1: Well, I mean, I even watched movies ten it, that were made ten years ago. This, guy, oh my god! <laughs> yeah,
2: but anyways, yeah, there it was. There were quite a few moments that like made me laugh out loud. In that oh, yeah. oh yeah! Oh yeah! It's a sharp script.
1: It's a yeah. lot of fun.
0: Well, and, and again, and we David, were talking about David Mamet. David Mamet, who's a playwright. Uh, well, his his heyday as a playwright was in the eighties.
1: Yeah, uh, and and, and I think most people would know oh, if they know anything of his, it'd be Glen Gary Glenross.
0: Glen Gary Glenross, which is a he writes these really snappy scripts. The 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 dial, There's rarely monologues of any length at all. You know, it's it's really poppy dialogue. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and and a lot of f bombs. Super
0: heavy, super really heavy on the swears. a lot of swearing. Usually. Super heavy on the swears, and. Um, He's. I mean, there's a play I remember seeing. It was one of my favorite plays by Mamet, just because it was so weird, a play called Duck Variations. And it's these two old guys sitting on a park bench talking about ducks. And oh, it's my like, God. It's like 35 <laughs> scenes and they're all just these super, super brief scenes oh of two guys talking about ducks. And one of the reasons that I remember this play is when uh, my brother... I think brother... you just
1: described my happy place. No, you've should. Oh you should you
0: you got you to read this play. Cool. The, the, when I was so visiting weird. England when I was in college, my brother and I went on a, on a, a J-term uh class and we were it was like theater in England and yeah. so he and I were kind of like there were 11 plays that all the students were supposed to see together yeah. and we're like we're on a theater in England tour why aren't we going to see a play every day so that's what <laughs> we would do we would get during the day we go look at stuff in London and at night you know we would uh, go go to Leicester Square which is where you can buy discount mm-hmm. tickets
1: and you still can and
0: and we would go we, we went to see the mousetrap because that's what you do mm-hmm. and we went to see some stuff that was not West End and we found out about this and we both liked Mamet and we found out about this performance in this tiny little pub and there was a theater in the back, like a black box theater in the back mm-hmm. and we were like, Duck Variations, let's go see that. So we went to see Duck Variations, these two dudes doing this show. David and I were like two of ten audience members yeah. watching this thing.
2: Did you know like what it was about before?
0: Yes, yeah, yeah. I knew the show. So we watched it and then we went out to the pub and we really we were talking about how much we enjoyed the shows one of our favorite shows mm-hmm. from our time there and i mean we saw some huge west end productions yeah. mm-hmm. um and then we saw this this duck variations with these two guys and we were sitting there in the pub and and having a drink afterwards well my brother was having a drink afterwards and uh <laughs> yeah. and the actors came good. out oh and uh we were like you know we we said excuse us we just saw the show and wanted to tell you how much we enjoyed it and they both were like oh you're yanks because like, <laughs> that's the first thing anybody anybody in england ever says to you it's, it's, um,
1: well it depends how far away you are from london
0: yeah know. but, but they, they're the super Londoners excited usually
1: don't care but if you are super
0: can, excited yeah. that you're, you're yanks and they were like and we were like yeah we really enjoyed the show they're like oh how are the accents because <laughs> that was the first thing on their mind was they were they were playing Chicago characters and they had they wanted of to know how the accents were mm-hmm. and we told them we thought the accents were fine and uh, I, I don't <laughs> and and you know we sat and we ch- talked with them and it was wonderful and so Ma- anyway Mamet writes these I mean he has these fascinating plays yeah. he has a um, oh god I'm forgetting the name of it and I should is it a Life in the Theater um,
1: yeah which yeah. is yeah. yeah.
0: Oh, which I also yeah. saw while I was in England, um, which is uh, starring, by the way, Denham Elliott. Who, oh! from, yes, yes, from Raiders of the Lost Yay! Ark. Yes, uh, Marcus Brody from mm-hmm. Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, and uh, it's that one is another two-character play where mm-hmm. it's a series of scenes with two people, an older actor and a younger actor, talking about theater. Um, and uh, lots of wow. F-bombs. Yeah. Um, wow. And so Mamet writes these really tight... Scripts and then you know he, he he has by the way sadly become a, a really wacky right wing nut job. Yeah, he's um, gotten in, weird in recent years. But that said, uh, his writing spectacular and it shouldn't be held against him. Yeah, what, yes. <laughs> what kind of right wing nut job he's become? And the script here is again really tight. Mm-hmm. Um, not a lot of not a lot of useless words not a lot of things being said without purpose
1: and everything coming out of Connery's mouth is brilliant
0: oh yeah <laughs> I just love that first scene another scene that first scene between Ness and Jimmy mm-hmm. uh, is is like spectacular like on, on the bridge right yeah you know, that
2: was amazing. I, I agree yeah. that that was a really good scene.
0: Who would claim to be
2: that? Or the who whole, is not? Yeah. Or
1: or the whole thing <laughs> in the church. The, that was so funny. The if he pulls a knife, you pull a gun. That that whole speech. That, was, that is.
0: Yeah. He puts one of yours in the hospital. You put one of his in the morgue. That's the Chicago way. It's yeah. It's 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 this wonderfully tight way to explain the stakes. Yeah. Then. You know, they're playing a very dangerous game. Yeah,
2: a worst player play right, might spend five minutes explaining what he explained in, like, 15 seconds.
0: Right. Yes. Right. Yeah. So, you know, you got to really be impressed with, with the the screenplay that Mammoth produced. Yeah. Um, I mean, we're getting close to what we need to call final thoughts, mm-hmm. but a couple more okay. things. That, that, is there anything else you need oh, to cover, Melissa?
1: Oh, Melissa's well, got well, all... Of s- course I do. Uh, so, De Niro being a method actor... <laughs> <laughs> uh, first of all, insisted on wearing the same silk underwear that Capone wore. Wow. Not, like, actually wore, but found, like, the makers of the silk underwear. Yeah, and, and,
2: that'd be really weird if it were no
1: And you never actually see the underwear yeah, in the of course film, you don't. but the filmmakers are like... And eh, you know, whatever all, you know, it's De Niro. Help. We it'll, got help. The, he, it'll help. We I got
0: know. De Niro playing Capone. But beyond way. that,
1: he he for his suits, he actually found the the same tailors that Capone had used, and went to them and had them basically duplicate some of his suits. Yeah. And so uh, there's that. And uh, I already told the Armani story. Let's see what else. Um, in the barbershop scene, or the uh, you know the barber's chair scene. Yeah. Uh, a lot of like the perfume bottles and stuff around the room actually belonged to Al Capone. Um, wow! Yeah, That's yeah, they were doing a lot of dedication. Yeah, there. they were doing a lot of homework. On well, it and that. I'm sh- I know they shot and this one in of, Chicago, or at least they, they, they shot it in Chicago. And um, the uh, the last surviving member of the actual Untouchables was still alive at the time, and he served as a consultant on the film. And uh, so the film the uh, didn't. De Palma and everybody he was working with, rather than going back to the TV series, which was um, is interesting in itself. Where the TV series like started with a two part pilot that was on, I think it was the Westinghouse Desilu Playhouse, uh, which was kind of this TV anthology series okay. produced by uh, uh, Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz. And so it was this two-part story based on the memoirs, which was basically the entire plot of yeah. Elliot and Ness helping take down Capone. Okay. But it was so popular that they said, well, let's launch a TV series off of it, and it kind of became like the Untouchables fighting the gangster of the week, <laughs> and people that they never encountered. And... Through, the, through they, doing this yeah. TV series, they pissed off both J. Edgar Hoover and every Italian-American person in in the land because, you know, they were, you know, making all these broad stereotypes about Italian-Americans. Yeah. There were boycotts and, and all this fun stuff. But J. Edgar Hoover was pissed because they were, in the TV series, taking down people that the FBI were responsible for taking down, <laughs> and J. Edgar Hoover didn't like that so much. But... Anyway, going going back, you know, so the filmmakers here were like, eh, let's actually go. Back
0: let's a just step do that further. Let's, let's do just that do that phone story. Just yeah, the phone story. The let's <clears throat> do that. But they, I mean, interestingly but, enough, but, but, you're dealing yeah. with that that Italian American stereotyping thing, and I think that's one of the reasons that they put the character of Stone in there. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And make George Stone, and they they make him Italian on the good guy's side.
1: Yeah, and uh, yeah. that's actually a ploy that the TV series took was they had a a good guy's, th- a couple of Italian-Americans on the good guy's side, and they just kind of bumped up their roles a bit more to appease the people who were angry about the earlier series or the Makes earlier sense. episodes of the show. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, but, you know, still here in this movie, there, there are things that are just wildly not true. Like, Frank Needy, was not thrown off a building for great no. height he put a bullet in his own head in like 1938
0: Well he took over the he took over for Capone after yeah. Capone was sent to jail mm-hmm. actually mm-hmm. and also I don't think Frank Nitti was a hitman no. Um, if you want to see no. a slightly more accurate representation in Frank Nitti, mm-hmm. uh, Road to Perdition.
1: Yes. Which is an
0: excellent, excellent film. Mm-hmm. Uh, not nearly as... as I, I mean, I don't know how realistic it is as far as gangster, but it is... If you it talk about a film that's just well, beautiful to look at... Max Allen um,
1: Collins, the guy who wrote the graphic novel that mm-hmm. Road to Perdition is based on... We should actually do the movie because it's... Yeah, beautiful. we should. It's spectacular. But the uh, uh, he's quite the uh, expert in that era and like he's actually done some academic work I believe yeah actually but did, Frank Nitty. I actually did a book cover for him once but uh... <laughs> <laughs> but rather the point Frank anyway, nitty N- yeah Frank Nitti uh, yeah. is
0: in uh, is in that film and in that mm-hmm. story and more accurately portrayed as is some uh, more of a desk jockey than a than a guy who's out there as you know because in this movie he's really Capone's hitman. yeah yeah.
1: yeah, yeah, he was just you know, big, big looking thug dude. By the way, he actually stopped an actual gang fight in Chicago.
0: Yeah, the actor did.
1: <laughs> the actor did. Like he, uh, uh, Billy Drago is the guy's name, and he's a character actor that's shown mm-hmm. up in just about every low budget movie since uh he's he's in stuff like delta force 2 that's his usual level but uh you know character actor you kind of throw into things here and there and uh i guess there was a fight about to break out a couple blocks down and the police are getting nervous and the filmmakers and the police basically just took uh billy drago with his tommy gun and the white suit and just like you know, said, go over there and, like... Hang out. Hang out, distract him. And, you know, everybody was so distracted by this guy in pretty suit that, uh...
2: There was no. fight no never coming.
1: happened. <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay, that's a very ridiculous story. That's... Sounds...
1: Yeah, it, yes, yeah. it's that bizarre. It's... Um, the,
0: movies, the movies do make a difference. Yeah.
1: Yeah,
2: they...
0: Remember that, kids? <laughs> the movies make a difference.
2: If you oh. end up acting like a police officer, you can go outside and you totally won't be arrested for... What, for faking being a police officer.
0: <laughs> That's right, kids. I think it was you more just a distraction. You heard really. it here on A Real Education. All right, so <laughs> I, we are we are getting, getting pretty close to the time <laughs> of final thoughts. Um, and so I will throw it over you to Melissa.
1: What are your final thoughts on The Untouchables? The real Elliot Ness died mere months before his memoir came out. So he basically died alone and penniless. Oh, that's right!
0: Yes, we didn't have our tragic death, and the tragic, tragic death, death is, Elliot, is Ness the real Elliot Ness.
1: Oh God, yes, this poor man. So, like after he died,
0: poor and alone.
1: Yeah, so he he had his big fame, uh, help him bring down Capone, and then um, uh, prohibition was repealed. So, uh, interestingly enough, he went into. Uh, Basically, he was still in law enforcement, but he was helping enforce tax law on the liquor industry, which I find really um, kind of humorous. (laughs) (laughs) But then, you know, he started getting into problems with alcohol. Like he he started drinking a lot, and he went through a couple wives, and eventually, you know, is he didn't have much money, and he was, you know, looking for work, and you know, sold hamburger patties to distributors and, you know, just...
2: That puts a new know, spin and, on the ending. Just,
1: just, you know, gets, he had this kind of long, sad... Uh, I was just going to pretend I didn't hear that and
2: enjoy the movie. Uh, yeah. Without
1: that. But, uh, but he, he did uh, work with an author to get his memoirs written, and he just died very suddenly of a heart attack at age 54. And so? So, literally months later, his memoir came out, and it was a huge hit.
0: So when you feel good at the end of this movie, just remember, bad things are coming for Elliot Ness. <laughs> of yeah, course. Um, yeah, Alex, band. what are your final thoughts on the Untouchables?
2: As I said at the beginning of the, well, not the beginning of the podcast because I was like before, but like huh. the beginning of the second half of the podcast. Well, second two thirds, whatever. <laughs>
1: um,
2: <laughs> um, the point is. I liked the. I really did like the movie. It w- it always like kept you in suspense. You never, you never really knew like w- what characters really were untouchable. Air quotes there for the audience, um, and which character because like. Like, I honestly like you. You expect like the uh, uh, main character. I suck with names, so which oh, that's you right. guys you guys film the, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, the names. I'm just gonna pretend. Yeah, Elliot Ness. you guys film the be- names? I'm just gonna nod <laughs> along and pretend that I know who you're talking about. <laughs> um, Elliot Nest, Like you think his family is going to die, and then they like miraculously survive the movie. I honestly thought Elliot himself was gonna die, but mm. now he's sur- not. Uh, like I like it, I thought that he was going. Oh, or and I I expected like if at, if he survived I expected all the other three to, to die as well but no then the uh, then like the uh, the fourth guy that is less important yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. or seems less yeah. important um, oh, I like that character a lot no I really like his Except character sure. he's just not very much in the movie he doesn't really get any mo- moments yeah. to himself yeah. like he's the really good or... in the, he's really good in like the um, in like the train station scene, that he's really good in that scene, but that's yeah. his pretty much one moment to shine. Yeah,
1: that was really early in Andy Garcia's career. He's yeah, he's gotten he's done oh, quite a bit since. Yeah, that like, was actually even, even like. I don't know, three years later, he did Carlito's Way with the Palma. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he was in the Ocean 11, Oceans 11, yeah. 12, yeah. 13, 14, it's however many just, they we have We don't
2: been. talk about the ones after <laughs> 11.
1: Yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know.
0: <laughs> that was actually going to be my final thought was to uh, mention that Andy Garcia's career really got kind of launched yeah. uh, here as well. I mean, he's never been, been like the level of a leading man that Costner became or anything like that, but has had a really. Solid long career, yeah. um, uh, playing, playing gangsters. He was in uh, the Godfather Part Three, mm-hmm. uh, and also you know, in, in the Oceans 11 series.
1: And he's worked uh, with Scorsese,
0: yeah. He's worked with Scorsese, even, I yeah. Think. I'm trying
1: to remember, was uh, he in Casino?
0: Okay, yeah. okay. Anyway, the point, is, anyway yeah. the point is, Garcia Garcia also had a career that launched from here, uh, so. You know, I, I hope you enjoyed watching it. Up next, we are going to continue mm-hmm. with our James Bond series. We are moving on to James Bond number two, yep. who was played by George Lazenby for one for one movie. film wow. on Her Majesty's Secret Service, and that's what we'll be watching on Her Majesty's Secret Service. So stick around for that. Thank you, Alex. Uh, he was a he was a last minute substitute. You did a great job. We really appreciate you watching the movie. With by us. last minute
2: substitute, we mean the other guy didn't show up.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Where and, and that happens so it's good that we have somebody around who hasn't yeah. seen a lot of movies so <laughs> yeah. thanks for listening and I uh, will be back with On Her Majesty's Secret Service <laughs> yeah. we hope you enjoyed our film fixation we'll see you next time on A Real Education dee 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 dee